Clarence Jordan, who is the author of the Cotton Patch New Testament, was one day getting a red carpet tour of another preacher's church. And with pride, the minister pointed out the rich imported pews and the luxurious decorations. And as he stepped outside, darkness was falling and a spotlight shone on this huge cross on the steeple. And the preacher said, that cross alone cost us $10,000 with a satisfied smile on his face. Jordan looked up at the cross and he said, you got cheated. Times were when Christians could get them for free. And Clarence Jordan was right. Time was you could get a cross for free, but most people back then didn't want one. Crosses back in the first century were the way Romans executed criminals. These days we wear crosses as jewelry, don't we? Crosses decorate the walls of our homes. Churches have them embedded in our stained glass windows. And we place them on spires that advertise to the world that this is a church. Now there's nothing wrong with that. Using crosses in this way is an excellent way to declare to the world who we are and who we belong to and what we believe. But using crosses so freely tends to make us forget what crosses were all about in Jesus' day. Crosses were instruments of death. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Near Christianity, in which he says that most of the time we don't need instructed about something we need reminded. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and he begins the letter with a reminder to them about the limits of human wisdom. And basically, he's reminding them that faith is a great mystery. He's reminding them that they didn't know everything, they didn't understand everything, and they weren't going to have it all figured out. Listen to what Paul says about the wisdom of God and about the cross. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. A local radio host in Poland, Ohio, was incensed. He could not understand the actions of a pastor at one of the local churches there who, just a couple of months after 9-11 and the tragedy of that event, raised the American flag and a Christian flag on a flagpole outside of his church, giving each a place of prominence with the Christian flag just a little bit higher. 
Showing his ignorance, the radio host began to wonder aloud whether this somehow violated any issues of separation of church and state, or at the very least was unpatriotic. And one of the statements this pastor was trying to make by his action was that Christians have a higher allegiance to a kingdom that is not of this world. And even while we support the government of this nation, we have a responsibility to obey God. And the radio host continued his venting, and I can't quote you the exact words that he used to make his point, but they went something like this. Doing such a thing wasn't in keeping with what a church ought to be doing. It was too radical. See, one of the problems with the American church today, I believe, is that we've tried to be all things to all people, to be politically correct, to sugarcoat our faith. And we've forgotten that the church in its earliest days was totally radical. We've sanitized the faith into something non-threatening and mediocre and forgotten that the cross is a radical thing. The cross was humiliating, it was painful, it was scandalous, it was shameful, it was revolting, it was a terrifying way to die. First, the victim suffered the humiliation of being stripped nearly naked, and then he would be laid on his back and his hands nailed to a, horizon, uh, to a horizontal uh, wooden beam. And then the ankles would then be forced backwards and nailed into position with one long nail driven through both feet into a vertical pole. The cross would then be fastened together and hoisted upright and dropped into a hole with a bone-jarring thud, ripping muscles and ligaments as it dropped. A small seat was nailed to the cross in order to prevent the victim's body from being torn loose. And there the victim would hang sometimes for days, exposed to intense pain, to ridicule, to heat by day and cold by night, until death finally came as a merciful friend. Barbarians had invented this practice, but the Romans had elevated it to an art form. In fact, it was considered such a cruel death that Roman citizens were not ever to be executed in this humane, inhumane method. The cross was an insult to the Romans. Only the lowest of low criminals could be executed in this manner. And it is precisely this wretched means of execution that we have taken to be the symbol of our faith. There have been numerous songs over the years written about this symbol of our faith, the old rugged cross, the room, there's room at the cross for you, the one we just heard on the video, when I survey the wondrous cross, Jesus keep me near the cross. But here's what I'm getting to. It must have seemed perfectly ridiculous to unbelieving people in Paul's day to hear the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Why? Because the cross was an insult. It was an insult to the Gentile mind, to the Greeks and the Romans. These were the ones who administered this form of execution to the lowest of criminals. It was offensive to the Jewish mind as well. Jewish law forbid a corpse from being left hanging on a tree overnight. The term Paul used was stumbling block. It's the same Greek word from which we get our word scandalous. Paul says that the cross is an insult, it's a hindrance, it's, a, it's scandalous to Jews because they were looking instead for miraculous signs. Interesting, uh, since 
These are the same people who had seen Jesus do many miracles. They saw him make the blind see and the lame walk and deaf to hear and even the dead raised to life. But these things were not what they wanted. They wanted signs and they wanted the Messiah to act in power to overthrow the Roman oppressors. What kind of a sign is a cross? It was an outrage. It was an insult. The crucified Christ was a contradiction to the Jews because he, had, he was either the Messiah or he was a criminal. The cross was an insult because it didn't fit their idea of a Messiah. Gentiles, Paul says, sought wisdom. The Greeks prided themselves in their philosophical pursuits. The cross was just messed up wisdom to the Greeks. This cross stuff shattered all the preconceived notions that people had about how God would act. It was a total insult. And the cross is still an insult to many people today because it defies our reasoning. We think we're pretty smart people, and on many counts we are. Tech technology and global travel and telecommunications have all grown in ways our ancestors could never imagine. But as we've gotten smarter, we haven't necessarily gotten better. Sin and evil in our world today have not gone away. We've only gotten better at it. Technology won't fix the problem, neither will education. Self-improvement programs, government, none of it's going to fix the problem. You can't achieve spiritual ends through political means or by throwing more money at it. And I think that's what Paul meant when he said that believers wage a spiritual war with weapons that are not the same weapons used by the world. So what will fix our problems? The Apostle Paul says that Christ crucified is both powerful and wise. The solution to the problems that plague humankind begins with people coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The solution to many of the problems in this world begins with Jesus. Is that an insult to a lot of people in this world? You bet it is. The cross is an insult because it defies human reasoning. And we arrive at the wrong solutions because we have misdiagnosed the problem. The basic problem in this world is sin. And the answer to the sin problem is Jesus Christ. And that's offensive to many, so the cross is an insult. The cross is also an insult because it nullifies our efforts. We tend to think that sin in our life is the mess that we've made, so we have to do something about it. But the message of the cross is that we can't. Jesus said, it's finished, just as he breathed his last. The deal was done. The debt for sin was fully paid. We can't do anything. The cross is the bridge between God and humankind. But we can't just walk across the bridge. God has to come and get us. If we could find a way to get to God on our own or dig ourselves out of the messes we make, why in the world would Jesus have had to come and go through the agony that he went through? He did it so that you and I could be forgiven. Some people have come to think of God's grace as charity, but they're sadly mistaken. If we think that we'll take our chances before a holy God on the basis of what a great person we are, we need to know that there is no chance for us. If we misunderstand how serious sin is to a holy God, we have misunderstood the whole Bible. In every other endeavor of life, it is a noble thing to take responsibility. 
and to work to get ourselves out of the messes we make. But when it comes to salvation, while we begin by owning up to that responsibility, we come quickly to recognize that we are eternally in over our heads. And we have no hope of getting out on our own. Those who are trying to make it to heaven by their own goodness find the cross to be an insult. The cross also demands our obedience. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow before this Jesus of the cross, and this is an unpopular truth for many people. Have you ever been driving and found yourself going in the wrong direction? I remember one time as a college student, I was working a summer job delivering for a wholesale meat company. And I had made a delivery to a restaurant in an area of the state I was unfamiliar with, some two or three hours from the office. And after making the delivery, I remember getting on the highway and driving, sincerely thinking that I was going in the right direction to get home, only to discover that I drove about 30 or 40 miles out of my way in the wrong direction. Now, you see, we can be sincere in following what we think is right, but we can be sincerely wrong because not all roads lead to God. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says that there's only one mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The way to God runs through the cross. It's an insult to many, but to those who are seeking the truth, it is salvation. The cross is also the antidote to pride. When we come to faith, we must swallow our pride and admit that we cannot save ourselves. Jesus modeled humility. It's a concept that's foreign to many in our society and teaches us to, in a society that teaches us to put ourselves first. That life is all about us. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to come to earth and to live among us. <clears throat> the Bible said he humbled himself and became obedient to God, even though it cost him his life on a shameful cross. And then finally, the cross means death. People didn't carry a cross in Paul's day unless they were on their way to die. Jesus says to us, if you want to follow me, grab your cross and let's go. That is radical, my friends. That means that when you take up a cross, you're not going back to your old life. That means you're not going to be calling the shots anymore. And for many people, the death of self is an insult because we want to live life our way. But Jesus says that those who try to keep their life will lose it. And those who will risk losing their life for him will find it in abundance. See, the cross is an insult to those who are perishing. And Paul says, but those who are being saved will understand the plan and the purpose and the power of God. It's a great story about a little girl who wore a shiny cross one day around her neck and a sanctimonious Christian came up to her and said, uh, I'm going to straighten you out. She said, little girl, don't you know that the cross Jesus died on wasn't beautiful like your necklace? It was ugly, it was wooden, it was a cruel thing. To which the little girl replied, yes, I know that. But they also told me in Sunday school that whatever Jesus touches, he changes. See, the Christian faith is different 
than many of the other world religions. There are a lot of religious beliefs that are all about what we need to do to reach God. But the cross reminds us of our utter inability to reach God. But through the cross, God has reached us. He's reached out to us. And that is a critical distinction. So in closing tonight, let me just ask you the question. What does the cross mean in your life? What is it in your life that you find difficult to crucify? Is Jesus really the Lord of your life and of your relationships and of your schedule and of your checkbook? Or do you continually climb down off that cross so that you can run your own life, your way? What do you need to do tonight to surrender control of your life to Jesus?